Good Sunday evening, everyone, and welcome back to Seth's Basement. It's Seth, hanging out with you this evening, and I've got another packed show for you. First up, we have the return of the basement shenanigans, as I took a week off from the shenanigans to remember Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Then, another top 20 countdown as I go into the hair metal file and give you my top 20 favorite hair metal tracks from the 80s. Also, we have Q&A, stimulus update, and an election update. So with all of that said, on with the show. Okay, so tonight our test subjects are watching On Loop, the 80s syndicated sitcom Small Wonder. Now, you remember the story about the show that had the story about the engineer who builds a robot and they try to pass it off as the robot as a daughter? You know, just sheer torture. And I'm amazed it lasted four seasons. When Vicky malfunctions, you have to cringe because after a while, it's the same old, same old gags of, Vicky, come on, you're malfunctioning. Just total torture and therefore it's our torture assignment of the week. Okay, so last week we were in the first wave classic alternative file for a top 20 countdown. And this week it's hair metal. Yeah, the genre of rock music that died quickly the minute Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. But yeah, I do love this version of metal. So we're going to do a top 20 countdown and it begins right now. Coming at number 20 is Same Jane by the Baltimore band Kicks. Now, I jokingly posted this video the night on Facebook, the night after I went to see Wolf of Wall Street in the theaters, because the film itself was just straight up three hours of debauchery. Okay, now a lot of people will call me a mark for this one because it's a band from Baltimore, but you know... It's not my fault they relate to the show at all. This came out at the tail end of the popularity of hair metal, and it's still a fun song that I do enjoy. So there you go. Coming at number 19 is Party All Night by Quiet Riot. Okay, now, we all remember Kevin DeBro's reputation as he was a prick back in the day. His no-filter reaction really put a stop to the overnight success of Quiet Riot as quickly as it arrived. This song was basically their calling card. Band loved the party, and this was honestly a tone for most of the L.A. hair metal scene. All in all, a good song, but DeBro's constant, you know, foot-and-mouth reaction is a cautionary tale of sorts. Coming at number 18 is Edge of a Broken Heart by Vixen. Yes, the all-woman glam rock band makes the list. And honestly, it's a very simple song about a relationship ending. And yes, it's still a classic in the hair metal file. Now, here's where people get a little antsy. There was a legal battle over the band name soon after their appearance on Bands Reunited, you know, the VH1 show. But that was soon resolved, and now a few of the surviving members are touring under the Vixen name to honor their late singer who died a few years ago. Coming at number 17 is Night Train by Guns N' Roses. Now, yes, Appetite for Destruction is an insane album. 
but this song flew under the radar top 40 wise and was instead a mainstream rock staple. Now, I've seen GNR three times in concert, and this is also one of my favorite live tracks that they do on stage. And with the Not In This Lifetime tour, when this was done in D.C., the crowd went nuts. And Ash, Axel, and Duff fed off their natural that natural energy again. It's a good feeling that Duff, Axel, and Slash were able to work on things to tour again, with Adler coming in occasionally, but as I've said before, don't count on Izzy Stradlin showing up as he's basically a recluse. Coming at number 16 is Fallen Angel by Poison. This song was actually written about someone who Brent, Ricky, and Bobby knew that came out west that they knew from their youth in Pennsylvania who really changed into someone different after getting into L.A. A really slight departure from what you usually get from Poison, although something to believe in was also different in tone, and that comes in later in the countdown. Coming in at number 15 is Dr. Feelgood from Motley Crue. Okay, time to reset things here for a bit. At this time, 89, when the song and album came out, Crue was just getting done with their first attempts at getting clean, as they had spent a lot of the mid to late 80s on a non-stop party roller coaster, and, the, and their label said, we can't afford this, you guys need to get clean. Now, the song's about a dealer in L.A. that people link to a lot of CD shit. Really cool song. Video was awesome. And they have Mick Mars grumbling in the middle ominously, which is really awesome. Coming in at number 14 is the only Def Leppard song to hit number one on the Billboard 100, Hot 100 charts. We're talking about Love Bites. This came out in 88. It's off the Hysteria album, and it becomes and it the album was a smash hit. Okay, Rick Allen had a miraculous comeback after a car wreck had him losing his left arm, and "Pour Some Sugar on Me" was a top two smash in the states. This is just an epic song, and to date, the only Def Leppard song to get all the way, as I said, all the way to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, which was used for the countdowns back in the day. Just greatness at work here. Coming at number 13 is Don't Tell Me You Love Me by Night Ranger. This was off their 82 debut Dawn Patrol and a year before their big top 40 smash, Sister Christian, which was on the 83 album Midnight Madness. Really solid song that was honestly bigger on MTV and mainstream rock than it was at top 40 at the time. You gotta remember, at times, it still takes a while for the top 40 charts to take note of songs that are either bigger hits on urban contemporary charts or the mainstream rock charts. It was true in the 80s, still is today. Coming in at number 12 is No One Like You by the Scorpions from 82. The irony about this song is that it didn't even crack the Hot 100 Top 40 part of the Hot 100. It got up to number 65. But it was the number one mainstream rock chart topper, though. Now, this song came out two years before the Smash album, Love It First Sting, where you had three hit signal singles. Two of them will be in the top ten. No One Like You is literally hard rock metal with a slight ballad touch 
without having a lot of that soft ballad feel yet. All in all, it's a classic. Coming in at number 11 is Something to Believe in by Poison. This 1990 ballad was about a roadie for the band who the guys were really, really close to, and he suddenly passed away in a hotel room in Palm Springs. It was one of the last hits for this band who had an infamous falling out on the on MTV a year later at the VMAs when CeCe played Talk Dirty to Me instead of Unskinny Bop. And, well, just about everyone was at their wits end at this point in the band. All in all, though, the song is amazing and it's a karaoke staple for me as well. We crack into the top ten with Looks That Kill by Motley Crue. This was before they got the mainstream attention, and if you watch the video, it's very much a combination of Mad Max and Escape from New York type deal, okay, with the post-apocalyptic tone. It's also a song that if I wanted a theme and got their blessing, I would use it for the fact that the song still resonates with me at age 46, as it did when I first fell in love with this song. Just a great song. Coming in at number nine is Look It Up by Kiss. I'll never forget when Kiss appeared on MTV to promote not only this album, Look It Up, but the title track and voila, no fucking makeup. It was a major shock to the system big time, but you know, it was a shot in the arm that the band needed. Okay, now I know the 12 years out of makeup was not a popular idea with some and it's still debated, but this really kicked off the non-makeup era big time. Was I in shock first? Yes, but I actually grew to enjoy it. And one final note, this is one of the last songs Vinnie Vincent did with the band. His two, he was fired soon after the album dropped for creative reasons. Coming in at number eight is Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. Now, we all know where we were when Van Halen dropped their 1984 classic album, which called 1984, which had parents freaking out with the photo of the baby with the cigarette. Now, if you don't know this song and you're my age, I'm 46, I've got a major fucking bone to pick with you. Okay, so the video is a bit sexist for those who are part of the cancel culture crowd that listen because you've got the woman in the swimsuit as the teacher, but the song lyrics are what any kid or teen liked in the 80s, for Christ's sake. Still a fun song, and I still listen to it quite a bit. Coming at number seven is Come On, Feel The Noise by Quiet Riot. Now, yes, this song is a remake of a Slade song that came out in 73, but this still song still makes me laugh, though, because of the story behind it. Kevin DeBro hated this song. He Hated it, okay? So he sang it so horribly out of disdain. Little did he know, though, people like me would convince radio DJs to play it on heavy rotation on the radio and it would become an MTV staple as well as it went up to number five on the Hot 100 charts. It's a song that actually helped bridge the gap between glam hair rock, top 40 radio. Coming in at number six is Round and Round by Rat. Now, a lot of people are digging this song now because of a Geico ad. And I'll have to say is, damn folks, I remember when this song came out in 84 and it's still a favorite. Like most 80s bands, Rad has had their periods where you've got a revolving door of band members. 
but still the song stands tall. Oh, and if you like the Geico ad, but you've never seen the video to this song, just go on YouTube and search for it, Round and Round by Rat. It's funny as hell, and it even has Milton Berle in it, doing all sorts of crazy shit, but it's great. Okay, folks, we're breaking into the top five, and we start off with the aforementioned Scorpions with Still Loving You, their ballad off of Love of First Sting. This was their way of placating to the need of a ballad on a record to show a little sensitivity, and it works out great in hindsight. A lot of people aren't hip to this one, as there's a song in the top three that everyone loves from this album, but the catch about ballads, no matter who the band is, they're just opening up their repertoire just a bit more than usual to show a little bit of showmanship in an album, tis all, and having a song that appeals to women as well. Coming in at number four, Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. Hands down my favorite Crue song, and yeah, it's a ballad. Bit of a story here. When I lived out in central PA, I would listen to the song on purpose on I-95 when I got into Ashland, Virginia, because I was coming close to RVA, and I knew I was headed home for a few days, where it was a happy occasion or sad one. The video as well is very much a tribute, not only to their fans, but their friends back home as well. Probably one of the best songs of the 80s in glam period. Coming in at number three is Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi. Now, let me be clear. I do like some of Bon Jovi's work, but to be honestly blunt to some, they were nothing more than a hair glam band that was Jersey's answer to the L.A. scene where hair metal was really huge. This song is all of the 80s vibe without the ballad stuff, including a ton of sexual innuendo, as it's about one thing, sex. Still have a major love for this song. And I love the part in Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back, where Jane and Silent Bob are in the movies in Kansas trying to get breakfast, and Jayford sees justice, and this song comes on. I can't help but laugh and sing along. Coming in at number two is Rocky Like a Hurricane by The Scorpions. This German rock band went through a lot of great songs in the glam hair days, and this song is a classic. You get the video, the fans trying to break down a cage or fence to see the band, which is huge back in that day. The song is honestly picks up a bad day and makes it a good day, or a good day makes it much better, because it's just what you need. Hard bass line, loud guitars, and a vocalist that just destroys you. And number one, come on, y'all. It, it's Welcome to the Jungle, Guns N' Roses. You know, the song that took this dirty band and broke them big into the mainstream is my favorite glam hair song of all time. Reason being, before Guns N' Roses, the LA bands were all about hairspray, makeup, and parties. Guns was a way fucking different approach. Talk about the seedier life in L.A., and it's a dark and disturbing change for a lot of people. I've said it time and again, you have to remember where you were in 87 when you saw this video for the first time. I know it was on up at 5 a.m. when it debuted, when I saw it, saw it later that day. Mind blown. And there you go, the top hair glam songs of all time. Now let's break into some Q&A, shall we? Want to reach me for Q&A? Add TrueSithCan74 on Twitter. Question one, Seth, it's not fair how Paul Stanley took repeated shots at Mark St. John and Eric Carr in his book, Face the Music. Why in the world would he do that? 
Well, Paul, in my eyes, honestly has this issue where he doesn't want to admit any guilt at all for what he's done in KISS. And until then, he starts to actually be accountable for himself. Export, expect more shade from the star man himself. Now, do I like the shots he took at Mark and Eric? Not particularly so, because honestly, even though all four members wrote their memoirs about life in the band and whatnot, took shots at each other, Mark and Eric are dead. Where they to defend themselves? Whoops, not alive to do so. Paul has deep-seated issues so bad that in his most recent book, he took more shots at Peter for Christ's sake. And Peter is retired, and Paul still couldn't help himself. Just another stupid idea from Bad Creative where it comes to Paul in his books. Question 2. Seth, it's not fair for cocaine mention Republicans to ran through a damn Supreme Court pick. It has to be done after 2021, right? Actually, as I said in the Ransom fam, Trump is the president, and therefore it's his constitutional duty to bring up a Supreme Court nominee when there's a vacated spot. Now, what happens in elections is that they have consequences. In 2006, Democrats got control of Congress as a check on then-President Bush. In 2014, Republicans won the Senate because people wanted a check in Congress on President Obama. Same thing when Presidents got the House, when Democrats got the House in 2018. It was a check in Congress on President Trump. Oh, and for those in supporting impeachment on this, just cut it out. It's his constitutional duty. It's why Pelosi, who, you know, said, oh, we, we have plenty of arrows in our quiver, backed away from it. She realized, I can't impeach him for following the Constitution. Come on. And it looks like, you know, coaching, it looks like Republicans have the votes needed to at least bring it to a floor vote. So it looks like it's happening. Uh, question three, Sith, do you think Queen would have stayed together had Freddie Mercury lived and not got AIDS? Absolutely. As this was one of the few bands that were mainly together as a quartet through thick and thin. It's tragic that Freddie died. Absolutely. And his bandmates still mourn and celebrate his memory. Do I think he would have ventured out to other singers if he was still alive? And healthy? No, because of the fact that even with the crazy disputes from time to time, they always came back together full circle, a lot like the Canadian band Rush, all for one, one for all deal. Question four, Seth, did you catch the A&E doc on Ozzy? And has your opinion changed on Sharon Osbourne since seeing it? Okay, now a lot of people know I am not a fan of Sharon Osbourne's managing of Ozzy's career as far as dictating what's get asked in interviews. But that goes along with the same discussion that other people putting additions as to what get asked. Hell, for years, you couldn't ask Faye Dunaway about the film Mommy Dearest. She literally would tell the interviewer, we are not discussing Mommy Dearest. And if it's brought up, she leaves. That's how she was back in the day. Now I get it. Sharon wants to protect Ozzy as well as her family. And it's totally understandable where, but where it comes to journalists, they should be able to ask questions that might be a little uncomfortable about Ozzy's past. 
okay? I respect that she stood by him through thick and thin because Ozzy was no saint as shown in that documentary. He was not a saint. Uh, question five. Seth, your thoughts on how you would do a Friday the 13th sequel? Okay, I would follow Tom McLaughlin's route, okay, which would be a direct sequel to the film he directed and wrote, Jason Loves, Friday the 13th, Part 6. You know, the meta chapter. And I would also ignore the other films, New Blood, Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, Freddy vs. Jason, and the remake from 2009. But I would make it a sequel reboot of sorts, that way you're retconning everything that follows it. And it does make sense to have Tommy Jarvis come back because he had the most experience with the man behind the mask. So it's a wait and see type deal. Just please, please don't do 3D unless you can really do a lot more with it and not jokey stuff like popcorn or handing over a joint. I'm all for a sequel, especially after Halloween 2018. So hopefully we can get a Friday the 13th sequel and another Nightmare sequel as well down the road. Question 6. Seth, why in the world are you so bitter still over Star Trek Nemesis? Well, be thankful it wasn't fucking dead last, kiddo. Look, the first two next-gen era films, Generation First Contact, were really good films and really enjoyable, but if you're like me, and it's hard to find decent episodes in the first two seasons of Next Gen, which were okay, but few stand out, then you get why Insurrection and Nemesis fall flat with me. Both are like extended episodes of the first two seasons, and you're basically stuck in a rut for two hours. Not a fun ride at all, period. Just another stupid idea from Bad Creative. <coughs> Question 7. Seth, any fears of a second term of Trump? If he was to get reelected or not, who do you think are the top picks for Republicans in 2024? Well, okay. I do like the peace agreements that have been signed recently, as well as this criminal justice bill. But I have some of the fears of him taking away more civil liberties, though. You see, to me, everything's about the Constitution and civil liberties at the end of the day. I know that a lot of people think I'm bluffing when I say this, but politicians on both sides are behind the scenes looking at ways to strip away your civil liberties bit by bit. Uh, 2024... Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Rand Paul, and a long shot Donald Trump Jr. Question 8. Seth, uh, which David Johansson version do you prefer, New York Dolls or Buster Poindexter? Let me preface this. The New York Dolls were one of the key inspirations for Kiss, and so was Alice Cooper. The Dolls were inspired by, you could argue, the Ziggy's artist in the a version of David Bowie, and the New York Dolls were a very strong influence on the L.A. glam bands that we talked about earlier. That all being said, I prefer the Buster Poindexter pseudonym just a slight bit more. It worked out a lot better as it allowed David to expand his audience a bit more than it was with the Dolls per se. Nothing against the Dolls, because I like them and they are a decent band, but I prefer Buster Poindexter. And last question, uh, Seth, thoughts on how CNN and MSNBC attacked the Attorney General of Kentucky with racially charged statements after what happened to the officers in the case of Breonna Taylor with the grand jury? 
Okay, well, both networks are ran by, by rich white liberals. And rich white liberals are known in some circles of being just as racist as some rich Republicans. So this really wasn't a surprise. I've said this time and again, there's no way in hell that Don Lemon or Joy Reid could get away with saying what Malcolm X said about white liberals and white conservatives working to both sides being racist. They were basically pontificating as well as their fellow hosts and contributors the typical line that their audience needed to hear. Now, what happened to Breonna Taylor was a fucking tragedy and she, she, she should still be alive. But that being said, racially charged statements and violence don't bring back the dead, nor does it advance the conversation of excessive force by 1% of law enforcement. If you think it does, you're delusional and you really need to wake the hell up. Now for a couple of rants here. First up, stimulus update. The next wave of stimulus is really coming into view. That's the good news. Another good sign of good news is that Speaker Pelosi is meeting with Steve Mnuchin on her $2.4 trillion stimulus proposal. But this has some Democrats put to be tied as they wanted action to take place and for Mnuchin to be bypassed. And also because of the fact that, honestly, Speaker Pelosi botched things with pork where it came to the HEROES Act, as she did the other stimulus proposals because she threw in all these wrenches of pork into things to try to appease her friends and lobbyists. So you have a group of Democrats saying, Madam Speaker, we don't fully trust you on this because of your previous actions, and voila, we need to see your proposal. Now there are two ways of looking at this. The optimistic view and the pessimistic view. You could be an optimist and say, well, at least Speaker Pelosi is dealing directly with Mnuchin, and that might increase odds of a deal. We know she hates Trump and Trump hates her, and we know that Meadows isn't exactly the greatest at sealing the deal either. Mnuchin's for another round of checks and likely won't mind going above $1.5 trillion if need be to seal the deal. You can likely count on these two possibly striking a deal that's closer to around $2 trillion to $2.4 trillion easily enough if cooler heads prevail on both sides. The pessimistic way of looking at this is we don't know if either side will throw major stumbling blocks and say this is a non-starter either, so there's that. And we also don't know if Larry Kudlow will try to meddle in or other outside sources such as lobbyists, etc. Here's what I think is part of Speaker Pelosi's idea. One, rental assistance for those who lost their jobs during the pandemic. Two, increased funds for cities and states that go beyond what was said in the uh, Problem Solvers Caucus deal. Also, $600 a week unemployment. I think hazard pays involved. I think that you have $1,200 payments for ITINs that the people that are here that aren't citizens but are resident aliens that, that pay taxes, as well as adult dependents plus retroactive. I'm not sure if she'll go for 500 retroactive from 500 current as well. I think she wants the full 12. I think there'll be a bailout for airlines as furloughs and cuts are coming the 1st of October. Along with everything else that's proposed that in the Problem Solvers Caucus that isn't mentioned above. Hopefully a deal can be struck by midweek of vote on the House floor. If it's bipartisan, expect the Senate to vote on it ASAP and President to sign it. 
If it's sharply partisan, then more of the same. And that's your stimulus update first memo. Okay, election update time. We're 37 days away from the election, and starting this week, I'll be giving you my official election map as what I see as part of the layup of toss-up states. There are several states that I can put into the column of Trump as well as Biden. Now, the following states are toss-ups as of today on my map. Nevada, Arizona, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, New Hampshire, Florida, North Carolina, and Maine's 2nd Congressional District. Okay? Now, according to my map, Trump is a two-point lead at this point. 201 to 199. And this could go either race. Here are my paths to victory. President Trump could pick up Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Hampshire, and Arizona, which are given 283 electoral votes from the 275 needed. Therefore, he's president. Vice President Biden carries his aforementioned states and ends up with 281. This is how close I see things right now. So you're asking right now, how come Virginia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota are toss-ups? Well, in Virginia, they do polling of people that go to the Trump rallies, that actually attend these rallies. And if you saw the numbers of the people that are African-American, Democrats, or people who didn't vote in 2016, it puts Virginia into the toss-up area because the other night in Newport News, 27% who attended were Democrats, 23% polled were African-Americans, and 13% didn't vote in 2016. The pollsters are missing out on a lot of things right now. And these are huge numbers that should not break for Trump in this stage of the race in Virginia. In the Rust Belt states of Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you're dealing with, in Pennsylvania, you're dealing with people that were on the fence in 2016 and now they're breaking for Trump. Here are a few predictions for you. One, Virginia could be a very early, early catalyst as well as North Carolina. If President Trump takes both states, it could spell a long, disastrous night for Democrats. If Biden takes both, it could spell disaster for President Trump. Or if they split it as they did in 2016, where Clinton got Virginia and Trump got North Carolina, and it ends up being Trump and Biden doing the same thing this year, it could spell for a long night. Prediction number two, Florida is trending Trump and the GOP is cutting into the early voting totals there, which is a possible red flag for Democrats given that they really have the advantage on early voting and Republicans usually do well on election day voting wise. If Florida is decided by 930 on election night, it could be a major swing one way or another. Three, I expect COVID-19 to be a major factor but it's not what you think, though. You see, people are seeing through some of the bullshit. You can't see that this is a smart virus and that a Trump rally is a major spread event for COVID, where protesting law enforcement or Confederate statues means you won't get infected. Protesting a lockdown will get you infected? No, it's just total bullshit. And besides, 
the governor of Virginia and his wife. And Virginia, compared to Michigan, had, you know, lower stand, you know, less strict standards, but we still had pretty strict strain, standards in Virginia. The governor and his wife here in Virginia contracted COVID and tested positive. Wake up. It doesn't discriminate. And lastly, I'm keeping an eye out on the reactions to Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's Supreme Court pick. The more childish bullshit of comparing Judge Barrett to The Handmaiden's Tale, the more cracking on her adopted kids from Haiti, the more likely people are going to turn away from Dems that are in the 40% pragmatic voter-wise. So this can have more of an impact than you think. So there you go, my official election breakdown. Stay tuned next Sunday as I go through yet another set of projections as we, as we go into the home stretch of 2020 and the elections that are coming. And there you go. Another episode of Sith's Basement is in the books. However, we here at True Radio Network, we have several shows for you to listen to on several streaming platforms as well as see, watch us visually on Zoom. We also have some friends that we promote as well, so here's what we have cooking. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., DC's People's Champ and a couple of and some of his friends have a special edition of the No Spots podcast that exclusively covers the G1 Climax from New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's a very informative breakdown of the events and a preview of what's to come. This part of the No Spots podcast is a segue as coming soon to the No Spots podcast. We will have a New Japan Pro Wrestling report weekly. That's at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, tomorrow night at 7 p.m., it's Sports on the Hill podcast with CP3, Robbie G, Anna K, Dijanae Bland, Paul the Boxing Guy, and the crew. They have all your DC sports without the politics. And tomorrow night, they will have their full breakdown of the game this afternoon between the Washington football team and the Cleveland Browns. Also, a Stanley Cup Finals update, as well as other things. All other things, Wizards, Nats, Mystics, Caps, coverage-wise. On tonight's over at Zoom, our friends over at the Starting Five podcast stream live with their take on politics, current events, sports, and pop culture. Sundays are a triple header day, as at 10 a.m., we have the No Spots podcast. Now, today, on today's pod, you had our preview of Clash of Champions that was in-depth which comes on at the top of the hour. And next week, we are recapping that pay-per-view, plus previewing NXT TakeOver 31, as well as our takes on the week that was in pro wrestling, as well as the news. Also, 151 and CB3 have At The Bar Radio, which during football season will be on the air after the Washington football team game is over with, where they interview independent artists and musicians, and last but not least, at 6 p.m., you're cordially welcome down here to the basement where I, Dan the Sith, will bring you countdowns, Q&As, shenanigans, and so much more. And coming soon, Katara's Cafe will be back on Zoom as well. And those are the shows that we have for you here on True Radio Network. And that's it for tonight, folks. I hope everyone has a safe week. Be well, stay healthy, and... A very happy tomorrow to you. Good night, 
Take care, peace out, and we will see you next week from the basement.